number 44. We'll read those first five verses. And then we'll pray and we'll get right into the lesson tonight. Verse number one. And he commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the men's sack with food, as much as they can carry, and put every man's money in his sack's mouth. And put my cup, the silver cup, in the sack's mouth of the youngest, and his corn money. And he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away, and they and their asses, uh, they and their asses, and when they were gone out of the city, and not yet far off, Joseph said unto his steward, Up, follow after the men. And when thou dost overtake them, say unto them, Wherefore have ye rewarded evil for good? Is not this it in which my Lord drinketh, and whereby indeed he divineth? Ye have done evil in so doing. Just for a moment, a brief moment tonight, I'd like to talk to you about this subject in light of our uh, lesson through the life of Joseph in this last chapter in this segment one final test. One final test. Last week we looked at a number of different tests that were uh, given on behalf of Joseph. But now we're going to look at one final test in Genesis chapter number 44. And so we'll pray and we'll get right into the lesson tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, for your many blessings, Lord, and giving us the opportunity to come and to worship you and to spend some time praying. Lord, I do think of our missionaries all over the globe. I think of the ones that were mentioned tonight. Uh, Lord, as Brother uh, Jeff mentioned, we're a little more concerned with our own, Lord, our pastor and those who are family members of a lot of people in this room. Uh, it's a scary thing when you leave the country, and I do know that there's some hostility in regards to the area that they're going to be in, but Lord, I do pray that you'd help their time to be effectual, Lord, and, and that you'd give them many opportunities to share the gospel. I think of Brother Mike's friend uh, as he progresses through this trip and develops his, this relationship with his friend. I pray <clears throat> that you give <clears throat> Brother Mike clear opportunities to present the gospel very clearly to his friend. Lord, I just pray that you'd bring them back safely and that, uh, that maybe they'd come back and have great stories of the great things that you did there, maybe even some souls that came to Christ. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd be with them. Uh, the other requests that were mentioned tonight, I won't mention them all by name, but I do, I, I do want to pray for Brother Moses, that you'd be with him and his family. Uh, Lord, uh, he's discouraged at this time because he knows that he wants to be with the people of India, but he has to be here in the States because of uh, the sickness with his daughter. But Lord, you've given him almost as many opportunities to share the, his faith with those Indian people that are there in North Carolina, and even some three or 4,000 miles away here this week, I've been talking to him about a young lady, Sarika. Lord, I pray that you just help Brother Moses and that you'd give him courage and you'd encourage him tonight, Lord, that he's being exactly what you want him to be here in the States for the Indian people. Lord, I pray for tonight's lesson that you'd be with us as we go through this closing chapter of this segment and that you'd uh, deal with us tonight where we'd make a decision, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for reading with me. So again, we're going to get right into the outline this, uh, this evening, but again, I hope that the uh, outline, the simplicity does not distract you from the severity of the truth. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go over and just kind of survey, and I'm going to give you some points, and we're going to come to the end, and I'm going to make some basic application. But I want you to do this. I want you to pray. I want you to pray very seriously over the next few minutes that the Lord would not just reveal to you a truth in light of this passage, but that he would instigate a change. This is what he's looking for in the life of Joseph's brothers. He's not looking for them to acknowledge the truth. He wants the truth to change them and set them free. That's what the, the Lord is after. And that's what the Lord is after in regards to us. Every time that we hear uh, any kind of message preached, that should be our intention and our goal is to hear the truth and to respond to the truth. You hear what I'm saying tonight? And so just really quickly, if you're taking notes, number one, I want you to notice the conspiracy. In, uh, in uh, chapter number 44, the conspiracy 
Joseph is found conspiring against his brothers just as they had conspired against him in Genesis chapter number 37. But could we all agree that the motive behind Joseph's conspiracy is very different than the motive that was behind Joseph's brothers? Absolutely. In Genesis chapter number 37, it says, again, on three occasions, they hated him, they hated him more, and they hated him yet the more. They did not like Joseph. We, we narrowed it down to one word just a few weeks ago. It starts with the letter J, jealousy. Jealousy was the motive behind why his brothers acted out against him and started really this whole downward spiral that took place in the life of Joseph. But we also learned this, that everything that happened in the life of Joseph happened for a reason. And Joseph did not let his circumstances define who he was. He rose above the circumstances. He didn't let the setbacks that were instigated in a very real sense because of the callousness of his brother's heart to set him back from doing the will of the Father. He did not have time to hold the offenses of his brothers over their heads. Remember Manasseh? That's what he names his son, Manasseh. What does Manasseh mean? For God, he said, hath made me forget all my toil in all my father's house. Joseph had to come to the point where he did not allow his past to define his future for the Lord. And we looked and we learned that. And you know how he had to do that? He could not hold on to bitterness. If he was bitter, it would completely deter everything that God was trying to do in the life of Joseph. But Joseph knew this, I need to forgive and I need to forget. But just because, listen, just because Joseph learned to forgive and just because Joseph learned to forget didn't mean Joseph was stupid. I shouldn't say that word, dumb. He wasn't ignorant. Uh, the, the offenses that took place in Genesis 37 and on throughout the life of Joseph, Joseph forgave them, but at the same time, Joseph is not willing at this point to just open the doors and welcome his brothers back into his life. Have you ever heard the statement, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me? Joseph had a little bit of discernment in saying, okay, I need to ensure that their hearts are truly transformed. I need to make sure that they've changed. Again, he wanted to ensure that true repentance had taken place in the hearts of his brothers. So he conspires this final test in the life of Joseph, or excuse me, in the life of his brothers. We read those first five verses. We won't read them again. So Joseph has the steward. He puts the bags, uh, uh, excuse me, it fills the bags with grain. And then the Bible says that he puts the silver cup. By the way, isn't it funny that Joseph was sold for 30 pieces of silver, and now they take that silver cup and they place it into the bag of Benjamin. So what is Joseph trying to accomplish through this test? I want you to think about that. What's he trying to accomplish? Uh, uh, did you notice that no transaction ever takes place? Think about it. No transaction ever takes place before Joseph's brothers and the stewardess. The Bible says that Joseph gets these provisions and because of the uh, foreknowledge of Joseph and the dreams that God gave him, they set aside the 70%, remember? And what does the Bible say? That the, the, the world, the, the, all the countries of the world come to Egypt for to buy corn and to buy bread. So it was something that was provided but for a cost. But notice in the first journey that they make to Egypt, I'm talking about the brothers of Joseph, he doesn't make them pay for it then. Matter of fact, he puts the money back in their sacks and then again, he does it again here. Why would he do that? Another thing to consider is the fact that uh, it was placed in whose bag? Who was the silver placed in? Benjamin's bag. Of all people, of all people, why would he do that? Why would he put it in Joseph's bag? Or excuse me, why would he put it in Benjamin's bag? If I'm Joseph, I'm thinking in, in regards to getting even, you know what I'm going to do? I'm putting it in Reuben's bag. I might put it in Simeon's bag. I might put it in someone else's bag. And I'd, man, I, I'd, have, I'd have a heyday on getting even with my brothers. But there's something interesting to notice is that he puts it in Benjamin's bag. Why would he do that? Because but Benjamin was innocent. 
Benjamin was innocent. Benjamin was not present whenever these uh, offenses took place in Genesis chapter number 37. Benjamin was not present. Benjamin was innocent, so here it is. Joseph wanted to see how they're going to treat Benjamin when these accusations are brought against him. He wants to see if they're going to treat Benjamin, I don't know, maybe the same way that they treated Joseph. Remember, at this point, they think Joseph is dead, so now Benjamin is the youngest. Benjamin, he says, is now his favorite son, Jacob's favorite son. They want to see how Joseph, or rather, how the brothers of Joseph are going to treat Benjamin. They're going to sell him out like they sold him out? Are they going to leave him to fend for himself? How would the Genesis 37 brothers handle this situation? We know how they'd handle this situation. Because of their self-centeredness, they would look out for themselves and they would get theirs. They would look out for themselves and they would not care about what happened to Benjamin. They would not care about what transpired as long as they are taken care of. Remember, Judah showed his self-sufficiency and, 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 uh, and uh, Reuben showed his self-centeredness. Uh, rather, They would be more concerned with what was to befall them than what is to befall Benjamin. So here's the purpose behind this conspiracy. Joseph wanted to see if his brothers had really changed. We learned in Genesis chapter number 43 that they, he, he knew this. He knew that they regretted what they did. He knew that they felt bad about the situation that they were in. But he wanted to see if true repentance had taken place on behalf of his brothers. Is their heart different? Have they changed? We see the conspiracy number two. I want you to write this down. We see the confrontation the confrontation in verse number 4 through verse number 11, we won't read. Uh, so he gives these instructions for, again, uh, the stort to go and to put these monies in their sack, or excuse me, to put the grain in their sack and to put the, uh, the chalice into Benjamin's sack. And the Bible says that they get on their uh, donkeys and they begin to depart. And then he says, up, go, I want you to confront them. And the Bible says that he speaks harshly against them. And he stops them and he brings these accusations against them. And then uh, the steward begins to, the process of emptying out the bags of each brother. And the Bible says that he starts with the oldest and works his way down to the youngest. So could you imagine as he starts with Reuben and begins to work his way down, the level of confidence that maybe overcame the brothers as he empties Reuben's sack? As a matter of fact, it says that, that Judah says, hey, listen, remember what happened last time? Last time you, you had these accusations against us and we made the journey all the way back to Egypt to clear our name. What on earth makes you think that we would even have the audacity to steal from the man who showed us hospitality? And he makes his way down and to their dismay, he gets to Benjamin. In verse number 12, read. And he searched in the, uh, and began at the eldest and left at the youngest, there it is, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Again, how are they going to respond? How are they going to respond against these accusations that are brought against their brother? We're going to see in just a few moments that they could have chosen to walk away. Judah says, okay, you're going to search, Stuart, and if you find it in someone's sack, well, what's going to happen is you can put them to death and we'll be your bondman. And then he says, I'll do you one better. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to make them our bondmen, and we're just going to let you go free. So they had the opportunity to walk away from this situation. It wasn't the accusations made against them. It was the accusations made against their brother Benjamin. They didn't have to pay the price. That brings us to the third thing, number three, the confession. The confession in verse number 13. Can you read with me? Then they rent their clothes and laded every man his ass and returned to the city. And who? Judah. Who should that have been? We talked about this a couple of weeks. That should have been Reuben. But nonetheless, here comes Judah coming to play. He says this in, in verse, number, uh, verse number 14. He says, And his brethren, uh, Judah and his brethren came to Joseph's house, for he was yet there, and they fell before him on the ground. 
third time in our text that we see that exactly as Joseph had predicted in Genesis chapter number thirty uh, uh, in Genesis chapter number thirty seven that it came to play, and now they're bowing before the feet of Joseph once again. Verse fifteen it says, and Joseph said unto them, What deed is it? Excuse me. What deed is this that ye have done? Wot ye not that such a man as I can certainly divine? And Judah said, What shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak, or how shall we clear ourselves? Look at this next part. God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. Who's talking right here? Who just said that statement? Judah, right? Look at Genesis chapter number 37. I could reference it, but I want us to look. Genesis chapter number 37 and verse number 26. Joseph, they see him coming from afar off. They take Joseph and they throw him into the pit. The Bible says is without water. And then here's what Judah says 20 years before this occurrence that we just read about. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. Lot's changed in 20 years. Now he's found saying in our text in verse number 16 of chapter number 44, God hath found out the iniquity of thy servant. He says, and Judah said, what shall we say unto my Lord? How shall, excuse me, what shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of thy servants. You know what iniquity that he's referencing here in chapter number 44? It's not Benjamin. He's, I don't believe he's talking about the offenses that were just brought against Benjamin. I think he's talking about the iniquity that him and his brothers have not been able to shake for the last 20 years. I think he's talking about the iniquity that was brought against their brother Joseph through the callousness of his brother's hearts. And then he says this, he says, God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. You know what that is? A confession. It's a confession. This is the second time that we see the brothers acknowledging their offenses. In verse number, uh, I think it's verse number 17, we'll read it in just a moment, of Genesis chapter number 42. Uh, Joseph is sitting there, and they don't know that he can understand Hebrew, remember, and they're talking amongst themselves in the Hebrew tongue. And what do they say? We are in this position because of what we did to Joseph. And now here he is once again saying, God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. In other words, be sure your sin will find you out. We're in this position because of the iniquities that we performed against our brother Joseph over 25 years ago. And as we've been talking, the, 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 the title of the, the entire series has been Joseph, a story of God's sovereignty. And we've looked at it through the realm of God's sovereignty is his foreknowledge and his control of everything that happens in every situation in life. And although he is in control, man has a volition and has a free will. But one thing we've barely scratched the surface on is this. Because God is sovereign, not only is he in control, but he can and will take control if he needs to. God's sovereign and he's going to have his way in the life of these brothers. He needs for them to get it. He needs for them to go through this lesson and to pass the class. And he's willing to take it as far as they're willing to take it in order for them to get it. It's a priority. When it comes to learning the lessons of life, no one gets a free pass. Joseph's brothers included. No one gets a free pass. God is not willing to just say, man, I'm so sick and tired of having them go through this lesson. I'm just going to forget about it. God never forgets. He is going to administer the chastening hand as long as it takes for you, I, and Joseph's brothers to get the lesson. Joseph's brothers had to get to the point where they dealt with their sin. So we have Judah speaking on behalf of his brothers. How did Judah deal with this sin? Very quickly, letter A, write this down. He had a reverence for Joseph's position. He had a reverence for Joseph's position. Look at verse number 18. 
Then Judah came near unto him and said, O my Lord, let thy servant, I pray thee, speak a word in my Lord's ears, and let not thine anger burn against thy servant, for thou art even as Pharaoh. He says, you are just as important as Pharaoh. Joseph, or rather Judah, had reverence for Joseph's position. Judah did not approach Joseph with some flippant attitude, swinging his hat. In his, no, no, no. In the previous verses, it says that they are once again bowing, excuse me, bowing before the feet of Joseph. And he says, you are as Pharaoh. Remember, we learned this last week. They were scared to death of Joseph. They didn't even know who Joseph was yet. Matter of fact, when they find out, they're going to be really afraid. But they just think that there's this harsh Egyptian that's giving them a hard time. And many times in chapter number 42, chapter 43, and now in chapter 44, we hear the word said amongst, uh, about the brothers of Joseph that they feared. They were afraid of this guy. Why? Because this guy is the king. This guy is the second in command in all of the land of Egypt. This guy has the rod of discipline. They had reverence for Joseph's position. Let her be, write this down. He reviewed Joseph's proposal. Very simply, I didn't want to skip this. He reviewed Joseph's proposal in verse number 19 down through verse number 24. I'll read real quick. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have ye a father or a brother? And we said unto my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age, a little one. And his brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother, and his father loveth him. And thou saidest unto thy servant, Bring him down unto me, that I may set mine eyes upon him. And he said unto my Lord, The lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. And thou saidest unto thy servant, Except your youngest brother come down uh, with you, ye shall not see my face no more. And it came to pass, when he came up unto thy uh, servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. You know what Judah is doing? He's reminding him of this proposal that Joseph made in two chapters before. And he's telling them, hey, listen, this is exactly what you said. You told us that if we ever show our face around here again, that we're no longer going to be able to see uh, Simeon. We're definitely not going to be, be able to see you. You gave us the prerequisite, and it was this. I want to see if this person you speak of, Benjamin, really exists. And so you gave us this proposal. You said, if you bring jo Benjamin back, then I will give you what you ask of you, and everybody can go away, and no one has has to be hurt, no one has to be scathed. That was the proposal that was given in Genesis chapter number 43. And Judah is reminding him of that. So they had reverence for Joseph's position. He reviewed Joseph's proposal, let her see. He reiterates the problem in verse number 30, uh, excuse me, verse number 25. And our father said, Go again and buy us a little food. And we said, We cannot go down. If our youngest brother be with us, then we will go down, for we may not see the man's face except our youngest brother be with us. And thy servant, my father, said unto us, Ye know that my wife bare me two sons, and the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn in pieces, and I saw him not since. And if ye take this also from me, and mischief befall him, that's Benjamin, ye shall bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. Now therefore, when I come to thy servant, my father, and the lad be not with us, seeing that his life is bound up in the lad's life, it shall come to pass, when he seeth that the lad is not with us, that he will die. And thy servant shall bring down the gray hairs of thy servant, your father, or excuse me, our father, with sorrow to the grave. 
So Judah explains the situation with his father again and begins to explain to him, hey, listen, my father gave us very specific instructions. My little, or excuse me, my older brother came in and said, hey, look, I'm Reuben, and if you, you, you can take my two sons, mark it down, take it to the bank. If we don't bring back uh, Benjamin whenever we come back from Egypt, I promise you, you can kill my two sons. And uh, we, we're going to learn this in a couple of weeks, exactly why Joseph, or rather Jacob, had this distrust for the oldest brother Reuben because of the immorality and the sin that he was involved in. But nonetheless, Judah steps in. And Judah says, hey, listen, I'll put my life on the line. I will bear the shame if we don't bring back Benjamin. So they had reverence for Joseph's position. He reviewed Joseph's proposal. He reiterates the problem in letter D. He gives a request for pity in verse number 32. He gives a request for pity. For thy servant became surety for the lad unto my father, saying, If I bring him not unto thee, then I shall bear the blame to my father forever. Now, therefore, here he is, I pray thee, let thy servant abide instead of the lad, and, uh, excuse me, a bondman to my Lord, and let, thy, excuse me, and let the lad go up with his brethren. For how shall I go up to my father, and the lad be not with me, lest peradventure I see the evil that shall come on my father? Quite the difference between Genesis 37 Judah and Genesis 44 Judah. Genesis 37, Judah participates in the, in the group effort to sell Joseph into slavery. And now, again, this is not an accusation brought against Judah. But Judah steps in and says, I'll take his place. He's asking for pity. He's asking for pity. You say, Lamar, what's the significance of that? I want you to consider what they deserve. What they deserved is exactly what's coming to them. You do not find him, what does it say? He says, Uh, excuse me, Uh, God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. You do not find him going before the feet of this ruler and saying, hey, listen, you need to understand the situation and begin to give him excuses and begin to tell him about all these different ideas and tell, no, he says, this is exactly why we're in this position is because God hath brought forth the, the, God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. He's taking ownership. In, In other words, we deserve exactly what is coming to us, but can I ask you, ruler, will you administer pity? What's he asking for? Mercy. Do you see the connection here? Remember, who's he talking to? Joseph. Joseph is an Old Testament picture of who? Jesus Christ. And here is Judah pleading before the king, and he's saying, hey, listen, I know I deserve this, but I'm asking for mercy. And that's where our chapter ends right there. Judah is pleading his case for mercy. Judah throws himself at the judgment seat, in place of his younger brother Benjamin, in hopes that Joseph, he doesn't know it's Joseph yet, remember he thinks he's just a ruler, in hopes that this Egyptian ruler will show mercy and take his life instead of his brother's. We see the conspiracy, the confrontation, the confession, and lastly I want you to notice the conclusion of this chapter. The conclusion of this chapter. A few things quickly and we'll be done. I want you to see letter A of the conclusion, the reality of their sorrows. The reality of their sorrow. At this point, this is beautiful. At this point, they are no longer consumed with themselves. They're no longer consumed with their own well-being, but now they are consumed with the well-being of Benjamin. Quite the contrast, again, from Genesis 37. And, And in Judah's life, quite the contrast from Genesis chapter number 38. Remember the darkest chapter in all of the Bible? 20 years has passed and 20 years has changed Judah and the brothers of Joseph. I read this just two weeks ago, 2 Corinthians chapter number 7 and verse number 9. I'd like to read it again. 
Paul gives the first letter to the church at Corinth, and Paul is, he, held, he holds nothing back. He's very harsh with the church at Corinth in his first letter. And then his second letter, he says this in verse number 9 of chapter number uh, 7. He says, Now I rejoice, not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance, for ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. You know what Paul is saying? It's not enough, church at Corinth, just to be sorry. You were sorry before and you were none the wiser. But godly sorrow worketh repentance. You know what godly sorrow is? Again, godly sorrow is not being consumed with what your sin cost you, but what your sin cost him. And that is the, the repentance. That's what works. Repentance unto salvation is what the verse says. And in regards to the brothers of Joseph, they were no longer concerned about the condition they were in. Matter of fact, look at the selflessness of Judah coming through and saying, hey, listen, take my life instead of his. Take my life instead of my brother's. They were no longer consumed with their sin, but now the story tells us they're consumed with what their sin cost Joseph 20 years ago and what could cost Benjamin right now. The reality of their sorrow, let her be write this down. The realization of their self-centeredness. The realization of their self-centeredness. Brother Jake said self-centeredness is not a word. It is now. The realization of their self-centeredness. As they evaluated their situation and began to work their way backwards, they began to work their way backwards 20 years. Everything that they were now, every situation, every pitfall that they are now in points back to who? Themselves. Again, they understand full, uh, they're fully convinced that the position that they are in now is because of what they did to Joseph. I said that I would read it in verse number 21 of chapter number 42. This is what they say. This is what they say just a few chapters before when Joseph is listening in. They say this, and they said one to another, we are very guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. And then Judah puts it so beautifully in verse number 16 in chapter number 44. God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. We are in this situation, we are in this position for none other, no one else except for us. We have lived self-centered, we have looked out for ourselves, and the reason that we've looked out for ourselves is because of the callousness of our hearts. We're so consumed with ourselves. I cannot look at Joseph and blame him for this. I cannot look at Benjamin, certainly is innocent. We're not going to blame Benjamin. We are in this position for the offenses that we brought. The reality of their sorrow the realization of their self-centeredness. Lastly, let her see, write this down. We're almost done. The response to their situation. The response to their situation. I'm gonna give you this point, but I'm not gonna give you this point until next week. Next week, we're gonna talk about Joseph and how Joseph, he, 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 he's overwhelmed with emotion to where he comes to the point where he says, I, guys, it's me. I am Joseph. So we're not gonna talk about that too much this week, but I want you to notice that uh, God had brought them to a point. He'd brought them a long way. They've been on this journey for a long time. By the way, this journey was far longer than it should have been. In regards to the road to repentance, this, this, this road was as long as the brothers wanted it to be. Did you catch that? This road was exactly as long as the brothers wanted it to be. At any point in time, they could have repented, made things right, but it was 20, some say even 25 years that they were on this road to repentance. And God brought them to this point again, not so they could acknowledge and feel guilty. They already felt guilty. Matter of fact, I believe they never escaped the guilt, but so that he could bring them to a point to acknowledge their sin, and here it is, to respond to their sin, to repent. 
Every bump in the road was God's hand leading them to the point of repentance. Remember we talked about this, not as an option, but as a priority. In God's program, repentance is always a priority. And in the lives of uh, Joseph's brothers, he needed them to come to the point of repentance in order for God to use uh, Joseph's brothers like he wanted to use them. They had to come to that point of repentance. It took them over 20 years, but God was not willing to withdraw his chastening hand until they responded how he wanted them to respond. I'll close with this. How many of you have ever heard of Tim Lee? You know who Tim Lee is? Just a few of you. I know uh, we've talked about Brother Tim Lee, so I'll just tell you a little bit about Tim Lee, and, and I don't want to share too much of his testimony, but Tim Lee is a preacher. He's traveled all over the world, a, a motivational speaker. I don't know if you call him a preacher, but nonetheless, he, he does uh, teach from the Bible and so forth, and Tim Lee has a testimony, and uh, he wrote a book entitled, The Day My Running Stopped. Great book. If you have not read that book, I would encourage you. It would encourage you, especially you young people, read that book. He, he entitles it, The Day My Running Stop. And Tim Lee, uh, because of uh, his rebellion and his, uh, he was a prodigal, he was running from the Lord. One day, the, the, the day he deems as the day his running stopped, very real and very physically his running stopped because his legs were blown off because he stepped on a landmine. And so Tim Lee, again, travels the world, and he talks about his book and so forth and is able to speak, and a very well-known author because of this book, The Day My Running Stopped. And he was speaking to a particular young man about this book, and the man was extremely excited to meet him, and he said, man, I'm, I'm so excited to meet you. I've heard great things, and I read your book several times, and your book has been an inspiration to people all across the world. And I just want to know, how do you feel about your book? Man, how does it feel to be someone who's so influential? Uh, tell me about your book. Tell me how, uh, you know, and he's trying to get his thought process behind why he wrote the book, and he says, I'm not too much of a fan. And the guy thought he was being sarcastic, and he's like, no, I'm being serious. Well, what's wrong with your book? He says, it has too many chapters. He said, oh, no, 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 I thought you did a wonderful job of articulating everything that took place and all the different chapter divisions. I thought it was wonderful. He said, no, I'm not talking about my book. I'm talking about my life. My life has too many chapters. God brought forth so many opportunities for me to get right with God before he ever took my legs. But with each passing opportunity, he looked at me and said, okay, I'll write another chapter. And we, we, another opportunity would permit itself. He said, okay, I'll write another chapter. You know what he's saying? God gave him plenty of opportunities. God gave him many opportunities to stop his book before it ended, as we would know it. And something that I learned from that testimony is this. Usually, not all the time, but usually when it comes to the chastening hand of God, it's only going to get worse. It's only going to get worse. God brings forth little situations in our lives, little, usually it comes through the simple preaching of God's word in the church setting, maybe it's through your Bible reading, but God does little nudges, and he's trying to bring you to the point of repentance, and he's willing to take this as long as you're willing to take it, as far as you're willing to take it, but can I, can I warn you, usually it gets worse. So can I ask you tonight, what chapter are you on? Think about that. What chapter are you on? God's been chastening you. Maybe there's something, there's a sin, there's something in your life that you're not able to get rid of or you're refusing to get rid of. Hey, God's chastening and that chastening is not gonna go away until you come to the point of repentance. It's a priority in God's program. You can put the conclusion. We talked about this in, ver- in uh, chapter number 38 in regards to the life of Judah. You can let God write the rest of your story or you can just write another chapter and you can write another chapter and you can continue on this chapter until there is going to come a point when God will throw the clay away.
So I want us to consider that in the life of Joseph and the life of his brothers. He brought them to the point, and we're going to see next week that they finally do get it. Thank the Lord they do get it, and he's able to use them how he wants to use them. But it did not come without them coming to the point of repentance. So I ask you tonight, what chapter are you on? It can end tonight. It can end tonight. You can come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. You can come and get it dealt with, or you can write another chapter. Let's stand to our feet. We'll have a verse of invitation. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us tonight. I pray that you'd speak again to hearts. Thank you so much for your, your grace, Lord, and your, your long-suffering. You are patient, Lord, and, and there's been many times in my life where you've extended your hand of grace, even though I didn't deserve it, and it's taken me some time to get some of those lessons, but thank you for administering that grace. Lord, it teaches me going forward that I need to get things dealt with right away. Lord, I pray that uh, you would speak to hearts tonight. Lord, again, as you've spoken to mine, thank you so much for all the requests that were mentioned tonight. I pray that as we enter into this time of prayer that you'd speak to us and uh, help us to deal very seriously with you and come to the point to make a decision. Lord, thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. As the-